welcome to the Justin Louis podcast. We're going to be talking all things mental health, addiction recovery, through to human optimization, and taking a deep dive into spirituality. Sit tight, listen in, and here we go. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking with a dear brother of mine, Benny Shea. Um, we sort of met each other a couple of years back playing footy in a, a different sort of world to the one we're living in uh, these days. <laughs> and we'll be sort of sharing sharing a little bit about that. I'll get Benny to dive into um, his story. And it's been, uh, it's, it's been a real privilege sort of watching his sort of path on this uh, self-development, uh, tapping into the, his power over the last sort of 12 months. Uh, very inspirational stuff. Uh, he's doing some awesome feats, physical, mental, uh, getting right into his spirituality too, which is amazing. Uh, so welcome, Benny. Morning, brother. How are you? Yeah, mate, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, it's always good. Love catching up with you and chatting and uh, super excited to have this chat today and um, get some content out there for the listeners and for people to be able to sort of jump on, have a look at the stuff you're doing and, and what's out there and how you've sort of, you know, stepped into this sort of path and, and what's inspiring you. And so, yeah, I mean, sort of loving to hear hear your thoughts on uh, and, and taking us through that journey. Well, yeah, funny you kind of say that in the intro there. Like I was only thinking this morning back to when we first met, which probably would have been five, six years ago now and how we were probably we're in completely different spaces to where we are now, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> 100%. But it's been good because we kind of, we've been a part of the journey, I guess, with each other either consciously or subconsciously for the, you know, whole whole duration really or the whole duration during the change, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you um why don't we sort of dive back to like, I mean, we've grew up down down south, obviously on the farm, country boy. Uh obviously we spoke we spoke before about the sort of the culture, I guess the Australian culture period and then the sort of football culture that, that rolls onto that and kind of like, you know, what it was like for you, um, yeah, sort of coming up through that, and and what you found uh, as as sort of what well, white shifted of late, and and uh, yeah, some information of that. Yeah, well, I guess I from there um, down in the country, a little place called Harden, Murrumburra, near uh, about an hour and a half from Canberra, three and a half hours from Sydney, and yeah, grew up there, and I guess. The first, I'll probably state first, like, I don't want to demonize my childhood or anything because I've done a couple of uh, podcasts before where mum goes, geez, you're making, it sounds like you're making us sound bad. Like, I had a great upbringing, blessed, like, only child, mum and dad, you know, outstanding still to this day, absolute saints. But I think it's just that the time that we were raised, like, I guess me and you were probably the last generation. Well, obviously it started as we we're, were coming through, but like pre-internet. So um, things that the information that people got and the way things were perceived and the way people acted, they couldn't really just jump on Google and double check things or, or see where, where things were actually leading. Like everything was just word of mouth or, or what you see on mainstream media or, you know, how the people around you acted like every everyone around you, you kind of modeled your behavior off that and there was no um <clears throat> external input i guess so yeah yeah it was a big uh alcohol was always a big thing growing up 
and you know just in general not that parent no, no one was like alcoholics or anything in the family but it was just something there that was always present like as in birthdays weddings any type of celebration everyone always had a beer in the hand anyone come over for a barbecue like you have a beer like it would be it definitely probably never happened i don't think you'd ever have people over for dinner or barbecue or anything like that and not <laughs> have a beer you know what i mean <laughs> or you do some far, farm work and someone comes out to give you a hand like when you finish up you straighten the beers yeah. and like um it just it you can see how things become ingrained deeply and then obviously football was a big part of my life growing up as well and it was so present in that culture whereas you know you'd, you'd play hard and then you on the beers straight away after so everything it just kind of I, it was a snowball it was always present so it, it just becomes ingrained and it, it's second nature you don't think about it too much until you can actually step away and take the blinkers off and and see what's going on yeah for sure it's such a such an important part like what you said like i mean a, a big part of this recovery program that i'm setting up is is about uh, identifying the programs that we we download as a child but it's also that's why when we speak about it now it's not about like bagging out a family or bagging out the the environment or bagging out the culture it's just the, it's just we're we're yeah. at a state uh, within society now we have we have so much more information available we have so much more uh, different alternatives available which which wasn't around then like when we were growing up so it's such an important point where it's sort of like when we speak about this it's not directed to demonize or to bag out or like to think you know fuck mate you know my childhood was rough because of this and that it's like no it's we're not a victim of our childhood all the circumstances we we've come in to this world we choose our family we choose our parents we choose our mission we've come in and all, all the circumstances that were there um shaped us and obviously without having those circumstances then we can't ever become the full version of ourselves so it's a very good point uh that you make and it's 100 percent. it's not about you know trying to demonize or, or 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 bag out um the the adults or the role models in our life it's just about it's a big factor that people need to understand is that we we run uh 90 of our life is run on a subconscious program so it's just then about identifying that what programs are we running on? Are these programs really serving us? I mean, because if and the chances are, yeah. if we've if we're going through struggles like like uh, like we both have, I mean, we've sort of always substance abuse back in the day. I mean, and it's just about identifying that like our relationship to these things, and then it just gives us more awareness about how we can change. But yeah, that's a good point. It's not about trying to um, bag out our parents because my old girl feels a bit the same. But I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah. I just try to explain to her I said like well mum it's just you know I, I'm with you bro like man I had a she did the best um, looking back we had everything we had food we had this and that and the other but I mean yeah there was behaviours going on in that environment that uh, I, I picked up on and, and went and recreated and caused me all sorts of pain and suffering so I feel like it's a it's a tricky slope because we don't want to we want to enable the people uh, with the tools to be aware of that, but also we're not fueling this fucking victimhood mentality. <laughs> you know, we're not trying to fuel that. Yeah, it's it's okay um, for you to do this because of this. It's like, well, no, we got to own that shit. Like we, yeah. so that's a that's a really good point. We make well, that's sure it. Well, with with anything, if you want to change and improve, 
you've first got to acknowledge what's wrong. Like if you're overweight and you want to lose weight, the first step in that process is, you know, acknowledging to yourself, yeah, I need to lose weight. You can't, you, you've got to, you've got to realize that there's an issue there or there's a, there's a, there's an issue that can improve. And that's, I guess that's how, you know, generational cycles happen because people don't identify these issues. They think that's just part of us. That's, that's who I am. So things like, you know, alcohol becomes ingrained just in us generation after generation, because, you know, you're just thinking that's, that's what my dad done. That's what I'm going to do. That's what his dad done. And then obviously if my kids see that, then, you know, that's what my kids are going to do. And then it rolls on. And that's not just applicable with alcohol. I think that's applicable across the board with so many issues we see in society. It becomes ingrained in a, a part of different groups and, and different, um, it becomes kind of a, sub, a subculture and it just rolls on and on and on. And until someone kind of identifies that and, and says it needs to change, it's, it's just going to continue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it especially is like, uh, well, you, you could write that with like the footy. Like, I mean, five years ago, if you had it went, you know, 150 or 200 days off, off the drink, I mean, you would have fully become segregated from, from the community. Like, I mean, because of, uh, so it's, it's really beautiful to see that that's shifting. Like there's more and more people that are, that are really sort of like, well, no, you know, you don't need to, we don't need to get on the drink. Cause I know my mentality of like, if I, if someone wasn't drinking or we weren't getting on the bag or something, then it's like, I always didn't want to hang around that person <laughs> because. And that's it. And that, and yeah, that, that just becomes ingrained. Then people that, that don't want to drink, they become kind of forced to drink. And then even when you, you know, sometimes you'd finish footy or, or whatever it was, and you probably necessarily you, you probably think to yourself, "No, nah, I don't want to get on it." But it becomes that ingrained in who you are. It almost becomes a part of your identity. Like I remember, I knew that I needed some change. Like when I was in my twenties, but it had come that a part of my identity. I didn't think I could change because I was thinking, you know, that's what I'm known for. Like people, people know me as a big guy that you know. Um, plays hard and, and, and drinks hard and I'd become, you know, scared to let that go. Yeah. Like, honestly, I had them thoughts myself. Like, I don't want to let that go. How can I do that? Because that's that's my thing. That's what I do, you know. <laughs> it's um, it's amazing the thought processes we go through. Yeah, I know. It's sort of – that's it's, it's what it's – I love watching, like, the stuff you're doing on social media and the, and the boys just jumping on the back of that, like, because you can see, like, it's such a, a massive shift happening, which is only going to bring about – so much more, uh, so uh, a lot better quality of life for everyone involved. I mean, sure, there's times and places when it's nice to sit down and have a beer with your buddy or, or whatever, but it, it's also be nice to have that freedom of, of choice to be able to go, well, you know what, we don't, we can go out for a game of golf, we don't have to get on the beers. Like, we can just sort of, yeah, you know, or, or, or we can, yeah, and I feel like that's, uh, that's the beauty about this, this stage of, um, time that we're in where this is becoming more more prevalent and obviously mental health as itself is on an all-time high so it's where it needs to be shifted people's perceptions and and beliefs with regards to what they believe is their normal um and that's causing them pain and suffering needs to be sort of altered um so i guess sort of like talk us through obviously there was obviously a process and like where you said before you're sort of aware that you know, like, yeah, shit, I, I can, I 
can sort of see like I want something better, I want I want something different, but I'm sort of scared um, to lose that identity. Obviously, with with taking that step is was obviously uh, very courageous because you're at that point in time you you are you're sort of thinking like you, you're going to lose you're going to lose friends or people are going to look at you differently or this sort of stuff. So, uh, what was a couple of um, I guess instrumental uh, times or things or people or was it a book? you sort of read or you're watching some YouTube. I mean, there's so much good stuff out there now. What sort of motivated you um, to to begin, I mean, that sort of stripping yourself back and starting to rebuild the you that you want to be? That transition, yeah, I can probably, as I said, it, it, was, it happened like everything that I'd done was just kind of in my psyche from such a young age. Like I used to, I never, I wasn't into like collecting uh, matchbox cars and and stuff like that growing up. Like I collected empty alcohol bottles. Like if I get like a new like limited edition empty bottle of rum or something like that, that was what I put in my collection. And then different different um, different types of smokes and that. Like I'd pin them on my cupboard inside my doors and that. Like in my room, like that was my go to. That was what I, you know, that's how much I kind of idolized it. So it was always it was always there, and um, then I guess it's not like I was like drinking every day or anything, but like when it like through high school and that it was uh, it was like you'd drink you'd get as much as you could and you'd drink as much as you could and like you'd just write yourself off, and I guess that was probably that was probably my issue. I think that's how I associated what drinking was. Like you just, I'd save up all my lunch money all week from, you know, during high school and then you'd try and go halves in a carton with someone and then you'd, you'd try and smash half a carton and you'd absolutely write yourself off and that was that was always the way. So even when I was coming through with footy, you know, kind of 18, 19, 20 when I was down in Sydney playing, that's, um, I'd, I'd go off for certain periods like during training and that, like I might have two or three weeks off and then, you know, I'd write myself off again and then it would kind of start again, have another two, three weeks off, write myself off again. So, and then probably as I got a bit older, like into my early 20s, I was starting to, I was getting a bit more uh, money and stuff like that. So it, well, I guess it was probably a regular, you know, nearly like once a weekend drinking, you know, from 18 right through. Like you'd have one big, I was never like a, a drinker during the week, but I'd always smash it on the weekends, like you know, one night, two nights, and then when I when I started getting uh, more cash, like in my early twenties, you know, it was definitely always big weekends, and that you know, pre kids, no kids, no responsibilities, so it was either pre season in footy where, like, you'd literally you could go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you just have to pull yourself enough together. For I was doing a bit of study at the time, uni, which was great because you know i'd have not really no responsibilities to go that sleeping all day monday and then um or you just pull yourself you know go to work just go through the motions so i probably kept doing that all the way till i was 25 and that's when my partner got pregnant and i remember i must have had a huge weekend it was i'd had it was a big two or three day weekend and i remember lying in bed and i was so down I didn't ever want to get out of bed. And I'm just thinking like, fuck, I'm, what am I doing? Like, and then I started, something just clicked in my head. Like she was already pretty heavily pre- pregnant at that time because my son was born in February 15. So 
this was like in 2015 well so it would have been like within a you know a month or six weeks of the birth i guess and then something just clicked like you're going to have this person is going to be solely you know dependent on you and if you keep doing this stuff it's obviously going to translate through to him and 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 he's going to like it was just kind of an epiphany moment i don't know how i kind of got to that thought process because i i didn't ever want to get out of bed i didn't want you know i didn't want to take the bins out. I didn't want to look at my phone. I didn't want to do anything at that time. I was just like huddled up in bed with, with the blinds down. And then I thought, you know, I just had this epiphany that I'm having a child. He's going to be dependent on me. Things have got to change. But it wasn't, it definitely wasn't a, but he flicked a switch and that was a change. You know what I mean? That was, it was a change in mindset, but it was just a definite gradual journey adding taking two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back along um, along the path and just it probably it led to changes in my diet, uh, changes in my exercise routine, but probably the drinking was still still present, if, if I could say that. Like I, w- I was changing other things up because that drinking was still, you know, it had been such a, a constant throughout my life. I just thought if I changed everything else around it, you know, I could still partake because that was to me, that's what everybody done. That was part of my whole social construct. Like how could I catch up with my mates if we weren't getting on the drink? <laughs> so I, I, I was I was probably rolling around at 120 kilos at the time. So I just, I obviously realized in the off season and stuff like that, I'd eat Maccas three times a day because I wouldn't want to cook. I was lazy because it's all a flow and effect through your lifestyle, how how you act. Like if, you, if you're not treating yourself right in one respect, it, it generally doesn't just isolate itself to that respect. It kind of flows on through everything else. So, you know, I was taking the easy options with my food and, and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, listening listen to guys like Joe Rogan and just his different aspects and he'd get different guests on and I implemented, I think one of my first things was I implemented a keto diet. I went keto. And that just helped me because it took a lot of shit out of my diet, like sugar, carbs, things of that nature. So that stripped a lot of my diet back. Then I started to lose weight. Then I started to – I always kind of trained yeah. hard when I had to. Yeah. And I'd implement – and because I was so far off in my off-field stuff and my um, diet and my drinking, I'd often do extras, but that was just to kind of – I'd do the extras not to get me ahead but just to get me back to the baseline just to keep up with everyone else because I knew I was doing so much damage to myself away from away from training. I had to up my training just to stay on the same level playing field as everyone else. So I always had that kind of work ethic there, I guess. Yep. So then I just – I stripped my diet back and then I gradually – I didn't stay keto, but I just – that helped me take sugar – and things like that out of my diet, stop drinking fizzy drink and then just opening my mind to, to different things. I read Aubrey Marcus's book, Own the Day, Own Your Life. I probably read that about four years ago and I was kind of dabbling in all these different aspects and that just helped bring bring things together on a whole, like how to implement things regularly throughout my day and then that started to bring things more together and I started to get a bit more, would actually read into a bit more of the literature on on actual on health and how that you know your physical body tied in with your mental state and your mental state tied in with your physical body and mm. kept right yeah it's it's all intertwined and i just kept rolling with that i guess and and then i started a, a degree 
in exercise and nutrition. So I was learning more there and and I probably got to the point oh about 18 months ago, that was when I guess my I decided that I needed I was at the point along my journey where I'd started to bring everything else in that I needed to kind of let go of the alcohol more in order to take the next step. Yeah. It's uh it's it's a, such an important step to like it's that self love thing, like you said, like if you're eating if you're eating Maccas and you're drinking grog on the weekend, you, you, you have no respect for your body, so you just don't really give a shit about all that sort of stuff. But as soon as you take them first steps into like being more conscious with, okay, let's start feeding my body with, with good uh, nutritional, uh, nutritional meals and then how much that affects like your, your mental state. Then it's like an on-flow effect. The more you start to purify the body through our, our choices in, in daily habits of what the, from the breakfast we eat to the lunch, the dinner, whether – and then how it starts to really elevate our, our conscious awareness on like other things in life that I, I can identify with. But how easy it is to get stuck in that sort of the mud of it when you are, like you say, if you're getting on a big weekend and then you're, you know, you're eating shit during the week, it's just so easy to roll into another big weekend because you've sort of got no, there's no self-love for the body, but then you start to really like you did start to really nourish the body then you're like more, even more aware of like fuck what am i doing you know i probably shouldn't be doing this or this is really starting to affect me and, it, and it's kind of like a, it's a beautiful um a beautiful dance that sort of has that that begins uh, well and you kind of as i've obviously followed your journey and when you see other people do different things and break away from the mold it, it does open up doors for you as well because when you're only hanging around people that are doing the same things that you do it enables you to continue to do that behavior. Like I think we can justify anything in our head. We can rationalize anything in our head. We can always make up excuses. Like our mind is, it's our greatest tool and it's our biggest foe at times because <laughs> it knows, it knows our weaknesses. It knows how to tap into, um, into things. So we like rationalize it within ourselves and we make it okay within ourselves. And once we make it okay, we obviously continue continue those habits like if i'm hanging around a guy that's um he's doing the same as me he's always drinking and then i kind of make it yeah like he's doing it he's doing it he's doing it it's, it's okay for me or i'm only drinking half as much as him so like oh you know it's not even that bad really so you just can't you know who you kind of surround yourself with it enables that behavior and that's not to say that's my other thing too i i don't think i'm not a believer in just Okay, we're well, hanging around these people. They're they're bad for our behaviour. Cutting them off, like it's. I think it's a, it's about bringing, which is you know you're obviously right onto, and you bring people along on the journey with you. Like show them that there's other options because through you, you know, stopping that whatever that behaviour is that's that's affecting your group or the people around you. Through you stopping that behaviour, it automatically gives them the another option because. They're probably in the same boat as you. They're they're surrounded by everyone. You're you're actually enabling them as well. It's not like there's a big right or wrong. It's just people don't kind of see that action. It becomes ingrained in what they do, and and there's no other options. Yeah, it's a it's a it, it can become a vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah, for sure. That's why, like, kudos to you, my brother, for like you know for stepping up and and taking the lead with that. Because then you are like I can see with this stuff on Instagram and. The boys that are jumping on the back of that which you know to be honest uh i would like to think um otherwise but if i don't i don't believe a lot of that stuff that if you weren't 
sort of you know leading from the front, breaking out of that, and, and taking taking the bull by the horns, and you are enabling that um, these other boys to sort of jump on the back of that, which is which is a beautiful thing, and that's kind of like what this is all about is to spread that uh, the story and spread the the message to to enable more people to to step away from that and, and grab that bull by the horns and and run with the life and run with the or start creating the, the new life that they want and so then it enables for you know, for their following or their boys to to see that as a as an inspiration be like yeah shit you know what i mean yeah, ben, benny's doing it or you know I, I i can do it too and that's kind of like the beautiful part of where we're at with technology and and um the information and, and so much good stuff available to us well because we can surround ourselves with good people and good content without you know even stepping outside our lounge room obviously it's it's always better to have that physical content but we can follow people on on social media and we can watch clips on youtube like with there's there's so much content available to us as i said a big part of you know just kicking my journey off was joe rogan like just listen to his podcast 20 years ago 10 years ago like i probably i wouldn't have been able to do that i wouldn't have had that access so i think that's yeah we're lucky in this day and age where people like to write write social media and that off a fair bit but we can almost create we can cherry pick like the information that's applicable to us and we can surround ourselves with you know like role models every day we can wake up and we can see what they're doing first thing in the morning we can see what they're doing the last thing at night we can tap into like everyone's the paths you know been walked before we don't have to reinvent the wheel we can just look at what other people have done and implement that in our lives for sure and so awesome because it is they say you're like we're most likely have five people that we spend our most time with but that's with the beauty of those things you mentioned social media youtube uh, podcasts that will we have the ability to make our five people in our circle they don't have to be our mates per se or people that we're having a beer with they can be these people like you wrote joe rogan i mean i love his stuff Aubrey marcus uh can be any of these great people i mean you, you got right into goggins, um, goggins yeah and, well i mean because that, that's essentially your circle so we have the ability yeah. to create a new a new circle and that's not to say you've got to ditch all your mates because it's not about that but it's about identifying uh the circle that you're in and if and if there's something you want to be different then Man, you got the ability to hit that podcast and subscribe to five podcasters that that are like the people you want to you want to learn from, and and that's such an amazing thing. Yeah, um, it is. It's such a powerful thing. And um, I guess we spoke. You were speaking before just about the routine. Obviously, we both are fully aware of like the importance of it, and and for people that are sort of a little bit um, a little bit ungrounded in their life, that's like the the go to thing is just to establish that morning routine and, and and just to commit to it and it's going to suck for the first probably two three maybe even a month but but just knowing that that investment you make from the moment you wake up well actually it starts by the time you're going to bed because you need to get to bed at a reasonable hour so that you you can allow yourself to wake up at a reasonable hour um but then from that i mean the first two hours uh is my belief is that you win that first two hours it sets you up to win over the next two and then you're going to win the next 20 um, so talk us a bit about obviously you read Aubrey Marcus's book uh, Win Your Day Win Your or Win the Morning Win the Day um, and then like that was sort of giving you some um, I guess uh, some go-to there and then just share like obviously your sort of morning routine I, I obviously know it but just for the listeners well yeah Aubrey Marcus he, that was a big one I took a lot from 
that and as I said, I was probably implementing a few things, but that kind of helped bring a few things together. And I didn't just, I don't just do everything he does word from word, but I take, you know, some inspiration from that. Another big one for me, which I guess reflected across my whole life, Jocko Willick, a couple of his book, he's got um, one called Extreme Ownership and um, the Dichotomy of Leadership. But the extreme ownership is just about, you know, take, it's just that extreme ownership, owning everything. And through you owning owning things, you take responsibility for them. And that's the ultimate way to change. And his tagline is discipline equals freedom. So that kind of ties into right into my morning routine because he gets up at 4.30. That's where I got the 4.30 from. I get up at 4.30 every morning. And obviously I used to think, you know, sometimes 7 a.m. was early morning, but now I've got 4.30 in my head. And there's people out there that think 4.30 would be asleep in, but for me, 4.30 works. And it's just sometimes I mightn't have the perfect eight-hour sleep leading into that 4.30, but for me, just getting up at that time, that's the first win. So I've, I've answered the alarm clock. I've, I've, I've won that first ever I've hit snooze and kind of start, as I said, back to them ration, rationalizations and justifications that you can come up with in your head. Like if I've only had five, six hours sleep because the kids wouldn't go to bed, I could probably easily make that justification in my head. Like, mate, hit snooze, get another hour to 5.36, rest up. But then generally I find that will flow on for, my, for the rest of my day. Like another thing I like to do, I'll get up, I have my supplements, get some water straight into my system. And then I'll do some breath work, which is pretty recent to my um, routine. I'm starting to really tap into the breath side of things and some um, meditation just to center myself and get me ready for the day, which is I've got a lot from you. Um, and then I'll do some stretches just to get the body ready. But then I'll either do a workout first up or if I've got something on like a cold shower is – definite a part of my routine again it's there's so many physiological benefits but for me it's more that mental side of just doing something i don't want to do to start the day and that ties in with getting up at the 4 four thirty. like if i hit the snooze button to five thirty, then i might look at that cold shower and go oh you know you probably earn a warm one you've had a couple of big days let's have a warm shower this morning then so i'm already slipping for the day then i'll have a warm shower and then what does that roll into me? Oh, you've been training hard for the last couple of days. Give yourself a day off training and then don't eat that. Uh, if you've got a, a healthy option and, and, you know, a donut and a salad, you probably, you, you, it rolls on, you know what I mean? I'll, I'll take the unhealthy option. I'll take the easy option because I set that precedence from not getting up at 4.30. So I just find um, doing doing things I don't want to do, it, it, it flows on because it's not that um, it's more delayed gratification. It, it's it's building mental resilience to start the day. And I find if I get that in place to start my day, it's def it, it, it will flow on for the day. Not to say that I might take all those, like not every day goes perfectly. I might take those easy options some days or if it, if it happens, like it, something might go wrong, life happens, you're not always going to get bang on where you want to be. So it might get to, 5.30 in the afternoon, I'm thinking, why? I'm way off track here. I'm not where I should be at. Then I just might need a restart. I might go for a hard run or I might do do some form of exercise to bring me back in and then I can win the rest of the night instead of letting that, 
that flow on. So I just find starting the day with some routine and regiment, it really, it, it as you said, it, it sets the tone for the day. You win those first couple of hours, you, you're probably more likely to win the, the next 20, that's for sure. Yeah, awesome, brother. I uh, I love that. That's what I mean. It was pivotal in my sort of recovery. I did five years ago was just implementing that first couple of hours uh, with the practices, the breath work, sort of stretching, and then um, following up with a, a good nutritional breakfast. And I found like when I set that tone, like you, when you set that tone early in the day, it's so much easier to maintain that. I mean, of course, life's going to always throw you with a few, few curveballs, but you've got that base. Um, which is it's just such an important thing. Well, Jocko, Jocko kind of says it. That's one of his things. Uh, some people try and say that um, willpower is we we only have a, a finite amount of willpower to use up during the day. I think that's I don't even know if that's um, some uh, scientific studies have tried to prove that you know we've we've only got so much willpower that we can go back to during the day. Yep. So. Uh, don't use it all up at once kind of thing like save it up but jocko's theory is and which i definitely agree with is that willpower and that resilience that we build in ourselves is like a muscle if we're not using it we're not building it so if we can start off early with it uh, and the more we can um, the more we can stick to it the more it just becomes part of who we are and that reflects like that discipline of getting up at 4 30 as i said that that reflects into then you exercising well and eating well and obviously that when you're looking after those physical things that then trans translates into your mental state as well so i think there's um he's definitely he's onto something there oh for sure 100 percent agree yeah i'm on the same opinion like willpower is something we have to cultivate like um people that's like even with our emotions because we get stuck in this cycle of of stimulus in the world that that uh, affects us and then we just react to it like we don't we don't even think we don't even have a second thought like a lot of time of anger or, or aggression or we might feel like we need to have a drink or whatever it may be like and i remember reading that book um victor frankel's men's search for meaning and he said uh, one of his famous quotes was like between stimulus and response lies a space and in that space lies the your power and freedom to choose and in those choices lies your growth and happiness yeah and I remember reading that and I, was, I didn't quite understand at the time. I was like, what the fuck, what does that mean? And I kept rereading it. And then because I know back in, I mean, you know, for, for, after so much uh, post-recovery or pre, pre-recovery for me, there was no space <laughs> for me. It was just like stimulants would affect me and it'd be like fucking bang. I'd either re- retaliate with, with anger or retaliate, or, or I'd accumulate stress. And then with that stress would come on, I'd, 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 I'd be smoking or I'd be drinking or I'd be getting on the bag or I'd be doing all of that and, and more and then it's something that really, after having that awareness, and it's very much like willpower, it's like this space that we have to sort of nudge our way into and then we have to work on a daily practice on making that bigger, making that space bigger and then creating more willpower within because it's 100% agree it's something that we need to cultivate. And at the start, it's like we have, we, it's almost non-existent. <laughs> but then, yeah, like you said, it's by just... Stick into that four thirty. Get up. That starts creating more willpower. Then you're like, no, nah, I've got this, and, and it's such an on-flow effect. Um, yeah, so I, I love that because I, I believe they say like um, we have we, we have our own willpower, but with a lot of people how they're sort of how they're structured their lives, and and I know from my own experience, it's something. You told me I had willpower. It's because I'd program my brain and my body to act in a certain way. The willpower was not 
it was not present. It was like it was, there was no, um, even though it was there, but I'd, I'd program and, and Dispenser talks a lot about this stuff too. It's about when we program our brain and our body to act in a certain way for decades or years and, and however long it's been, you need more than just like, uh, okay, saying no or no, I need to do this. You need to start to recreate uh, the new, new neurotransmitters that are going to help you unprogram the programs that we've created through our body because our body, we might be consciously thinking, no, I need to do this. But if our body is programmed in, in, in such a way that it does the opposite, then that's where people get burned out because they, it's like you're fighting against the subconscious uh, power of the body, which is, it's, uh, they say it's 100 million times stronger because you think about everything in our life, 90% of our life is run through our subconscious. Once we learn how to drive a car, we don't have to think about that again. Once we learn how to cook, once we learn how to play football, once we're not consciously running around going, okay, I need to put this foot here, I need to dip my shoulder, I need to do this. It's like that's all subconscious patterning. And um, so that's awesome. But uh, we want to talk, chat a bit about your, uh, I mean, you've done some kick-ass feats lately, which I personally just loved and, and watching watching you take these challenges. Obviously, the one you did uh, for Mitchie Cronin was, was extremely admirable and, and honourable and is deserve um huge accolades for that i mean it was it was such a, a beautiful cause um obviously yeah talk us through a little bit about that and and how you sort of how you found uh what sort of helped obviously with with the with the, with cultivating that willpower or and uh and what you sort of got out of it i guess like as far as a, a mental thing yeah well, i guess the um we're kind of when we're recording this now we're we're just coming out of that pre-covid period so I went back down to my family farm during our um, COVID isolation. I was down there for 50 days. And I've always playing football, it takes up majority of um, of your year. So it's probably 10 months with pre-season and, um, and the season. It's, it's 10 months of that 12 months taken up. So in that, 12, in that two months off, you're kind of mainly family orientated. You can't really dive into too many too many things um, because you don't, you've don't. you taken a lot of time away from your family during that 10 months. You don't want to take any more away from them. So as far as uh, physical physical feats, it's not really the time for that. So, But I guess that's probably the subconscious coming in too because I've always had goals like marathons and um, different things, but I guess you're always waiting for that perfect time to bring that about. And I just thought the COVID break came up. I wasn't playing footy. I was back home. I thought, you know, I'm going to tick some things off. Like I've always been doing some some hard training and a lot of running, but I never kind I was always thinking when I ran my first marathon, I had to, I had this block in my head that I needed to run that marathon during some, uh, like the Gold Coast Marathon or something like that, like an event held for a marathon. I had this thing in my head, like I need to wait for this time to run this marathon and then I'll create more excuse for myself as in saying that, well, majority of marathons are on during footy season, so I can't really run them. And it was just something I never got around to. So it was just, it was kind of a lot of it was just taking uh, limiters and mental blockers, governors off myself to what I could do. I was, I just said to myself, I'm home, I'm going to try a few things. So I just said, uh, yeah, I'm going to run a marathon. So one, or the first thing I'd done, I, I, um, I, ran, a mar- I ran a marathon, but I wanted to do it kind of tying back into that there's no perfect time to uh, do anything. I wanted to do it kind of, I guess, at the drop of a hat. So I didn't uh, 
trained specifically for. I just continued my normal running patterns and I had a t-shirt coming in the mail that I wanted to uh, run it in and I didn't know actually when that was going to arrive. So I just had in my head that once this t-shirt arrives, the next day I'll run the marathon. So in that fact that I'd continue my normal training, which I was training hard every day. So I wasn't deloading or or trying to peak for the marathon. So the t-shirt arrived one afternoon at 5pm, mum brought it home from work. So that stage, I knew that I had to. I was running the marathon the next day, and I didn't change any of my normal routine because I intermittent fast every day, like try and get a sixteen-eight window. The only thing I did change with my routine that morning, I had two bananas leading into it, <laughs> and then I thought I want to, um, I want to challenge myself a bit more. So I'm going to do the marathon without any water, just as an extra mental push, and I'm not sure probably beforehand I didn't probably actually know how hard it was going to be but once I'd put that restriction on myself I didn't want to I didn't want to break it either so I got out there just started running and I the other thing I didn't tell anybody about it because I I knew I was going to get in the hurt locker at some point probably about the 30k mark probably up to that point I think 30k's was the furthest I'd I'd run so I knew once I got past 30k's I was going to be in an unknown territory and I also knew if I put it out on social media like, hey, I'm running a marathon today off the bat with no water, it puts a lot of that external motivation on you and you you think, oh, people know I've got to do it, I've got to do it. But I wanted to get out there and have those conversations with myself like mentally, say I'm 30, I'm 35Ks in, I'm absolutely stuffed. No one knows I'm out here. I'm on a backcountry road. I've, I think I passed three cars the whole time during the marathon like in the four or five hours, so... There was no, no one knew I was out there. I could quite easily just call my partner, tell her to come pick me up, say I've got a sore calf uh, yeah. and roll on with that. No one would know, but I'd know in myself. So that's what that's that's where I, I really wanted to get to. I wanted to start breaking down some mental barriers there and have those conversations with myself under kind of physical exertion. I love that. Because I, I knew that, that, yeah, that was going to be where the growth came for me. Like it wasn't a... It wasn't about doing it for time because obviously I I wasn't trying to peak for it. I hadn't really put overall emphasis on my nutrition yeah. other than what I'm normally doing every day to look after myself. And I was running it with no water. I wasn't taking any fluids during the – so obviously <laughs> I'm not going to be run, running PBs, but the thing I was looking for in that was, was those mental conversations. So I'd done that and that was um, – that just kind of opened a few a few doors for me, and then I was thinking uh, I took up another challenge then of a seventy two hour fast on the back of that, and I got through. I got into this seventy two hour fast. I, I, as I said, I'd been doing intermittent fasting for probably two three years, pretty regular in my routine every day, and uh, I'd done like a twenty four hour. I think I'd done a forty eight hour, but I'd never kind of gone into that. I think probably once you get to that 48 hour and further, that's when you're really in that prolonged fast. I guess the, the title comes over, uh, comes over it. So I wanted to get into that. I initially was toing and froing, going 48 hour. I'll just do 60 hour because three days might be too long. But that's when I tap back into the whole. Now let's like we're doing this for a challenge, not something that we think we can do. So I um. 
I went with the three day fast, which and my partner actually she jumped on. She done it with me. That's um, awesome. She, she she does the intermittent fast, so that was kind of part of you know back to that what we were saying before, taking people along on the journey with you. There's no point me just kind of doing this if I can't try and help people around me. And obviously the benefits from fasting are, are huge. So I wanted to tap into that, but I also knew take it back to that mental push, that discipline. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get out of it as well. So I thought. And not just, I wanted to add a bit more to the fast, like I did with the no water. I thought I'd run a um, a half marathon during it, so I'd obviously <laughs> depleted myself, <laughs> depleted myself with no food for sixty for sixty hours. I just at the sixty hour mark, I decided I'd run the marathon because I was thinking, uh, the half marathon. Sorry, I was thinking I could run it right at the end. So I was think by rough time in my head I was thinking it would take me about two hours to run this half marathon with uh, with no food in my system kind of thing and my glycogen levels are probably deplete pretty quick and whatever else is going to happen I thought I was giving myself about two hours so I initially thought the 70 hour mark would be a good time because once I finish it'll be 72 and then I you know it's a free-for-all I can eat I can drink I can do whatever I want yeah. um I can break the fast, but then I thought that's probably really the easy option because I know at that finish line, the the rewards are going to be there straight away. So I thought I'll do it at the 60-hour mark, and then that way it's it's still on the last day of the fast. I can still kind of see the finish line there. There's a bit of a carrot at the end, but I know after like two hours to do it, I'm still at the 62-hour mark. I'm going to have to tough it out for you know the next 10 hours. <laughs> but my body my body's already depleted i've now run a half marathon now my body's going to be really wanting for something to um to nourish it and i'm going to have to mentally push through those demons as well so yeah that was another little one i done and uh that was a good I love, challenge i love that but obviously it's all back to the mental side yeah i love the mindset of how you're fucking diving into it when you're trying to make it is, is challenging and, you, and you're fully conscious of like, no, if I do this and that's probably taken easier, even though none of it's easy, but even within the, yeah. even within the challenge, then you're adding ways to make it more challenging. Cause you, and that's, it's fucking, it's, it's awesome, bro. I love that. Well, that's, I take David Goggins. He's a man for that because I remember he was on Joe Rogan. He's done a couple on Joe Rogan, but they'll, Joe was saying to him, are you working with any specific trainer working on different modes of recovery uh, you know, are you, what are you adding? What are you implementing to get the most out of yourself? And he's like, no, nah, nothing, no one. I don't want to know it. And he's like, why? Like you'd be getting so much more. He's like, everything I'm doing through my uh, physical test, it's all for my mind. It's all about scarring my mind. That's all I want to get out of it. I'm building the strongest mind possible. Like I couldn't give a fuck about my body. Essentially, it's yeah. it's about building my mind. Everything's pushing that. So when I kind of tap. I try and bring that mentality. Obviously, I'm no David Goggins, but I try and bring some form of that mentality into everything I do because, as I said, it's not always, you can't always PB everything, but the circumstances you put on yourself, then you use that mental strength into the next thing. So next time I'm going for a 10K run and I'm struggling a little bit or my mind's trying to find excuses, I can say, hey, You've ran a half marathon. You've ran a marathon. You've ran a half marathon. And not only have you done that, you ran like in a half marathon. You t- ran twenty one k's, six sixty hours into a fast. Like you are capable of much more. Don't look for those yeah. those easy options. So yeah, I, I try and he's David Goggins is obviously he's a big inspiration. And 
just his mentality of actually unlocking the mind. Don't you don't always have to do everything for peak physical performance. It, it's unlocking the mind, and then through unlocking that mind, that's where further physical feats yep. can come. Like you, you're um, unlocking things further down the track. Like the, I think the mind, the mind is the key to everything. Well, they feed they feed one another, don't they? I mean, you can have that's it. Yeah, if you if you're constantly worried about uh, you've, you've your performance or your physique, then you, you can easily get away with sort of becoming weaker in the mind because you're like, no, I better rest today so I want to be better tomorrow. But it's like, well, if I just dig in today, you're going to start to callous the mind on a different level. Um, yeah. And I, that's, we, I don't think, his thing is we don't know what we're actually capable of because one I always think of with him, not to always bring it back to Goggins, but he ran his first 100-mile race with pretty much zero training. He was doing it to kind of fundraise He ran a hundred miles. He never ran a marathon officially. Like he'd never ran a marathon distance. He went first to a hundred miles and he basically nearly <laughs> killed himself. Like he put himself through absolute torture, uh, rhabdomyosis, whatever else, shoot himself, pissed himself, whatever else through this hundred Ks. And then he promised his mother that he was going to run a marathon with her three weeks later. Yeah. But he went along to support and he just thought like, oh, he was so sore still. His body was still, you know, broken down. And he just thought, oh, um, I'll walk this with her. I'll walk this marathon with her because this is something my mother wants to do. Like, I should be able to get through walking. He said the gun went off, something flicked in his head. Mm. He just started running. And he ran that. That was his like, first ever marathon, like really. He'd run the 100 miles, obviously, but that was his first specific marathon. Yeah. And he ran that in a time good enough to qualify him for the Boston Marathon. So he just thought to himself, how much am I fucking leaving on the table where my mind was conditioned, to, was telling me, I've just done 100 miles, you're so sore, you're so tired, you're so depleted. You, yeah. um, there's, no, there's no way you can run a marathon, but once he pushed past that, He'd done a time to qualify for the Boston Marathon. That that's when he started to tap into the whole the power of the mind and when you can push yourself to like limits that you think you're not capable of. Like what's beyond that? How much further can we go? For sure, uh, that was in Vegas, huh? He ran that one. I think it was. What is it? Yeah, yeah, that was the one. Yep, yeah, it's such a cool story. Um, and that's what it is. And that comes back to just like starting no matter where you're at, whether you're fucking ground zero. And that starts with just setting that alarm and sticking to that alarm yep. and then making sure you set to your breath work or your stretch and sticking to that. And that's kind of like where the callousing begins. So it's like, I mean, he's the extreme version and it's taken him, uh, you know, a lot, of <laughs> a lot of sweat and blood and tears to get to that. But that's not to say, I mean, the mentality is it applies for all, no matter where you're at. Um, within your journey, you can just be setting something so simple as just setting a time that you get up and that's it. And regardless of how tired you are or what time you went to bed, it's just like, well, no, this is it. And that's where the, it begins. Um, yeah, once again, we're so lucky to have the, uh, have all that stuff. Well, yeah, we talk about it in our inner circle um, to be able to listen to stories like this, this uh, the Goggins and, and have that on audio book or, or have it in our ear driving to work and, and getting that motivation or getting that inspiration through uh, through listening to that, it's it's such a important tool that we we um, that we have. Yeah, it it all ties in, brother. It's amazing when you start connecting the dots. Like as just as a reference point, like you you hit the the snooze at four thirty, you're probably likely to pull the pin during that marathon when you know you think you're absolutely stuffed. Like it all it all rolls on. Like subconsciously, if you create out for yourself, it won't just 
stick with that that first thing it, it'll 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 keep flowing on and share us about your other one you did for benny um oh not for, for benny sorry for michi Corona, you did a uh was it, yeah that was that was pretty impressive too brother well see i was on that um i was on that challenge buzz and back to goggins his goggins has got a challenge it's four four forty eight so it's four miles every four hours for forty eight hours so four miles is like that's obviously american but where it's, it's the equivalent of six point five kilometers so that's i had that kind of in my head that was going to be my next challenge and then uh like a mate of ours like Mitch Cronin, he passed away like untimely, twenty seven years old. Like just, it's it's rocked everyone, and it's my last uh, communication with him, or my last kind of contact was he'd commented on the couple of posts on my Instagram of me doing the last two challenges. So automatically something like clicked in me. I was like, it'd be great to be able to do something to honor him, like through kind of what I'm doing at the moment through these challenges of pushing myself. And, um, you know, just remember him and honour him with something, you know, tough and, and you know, just something to put myself out there, just my way, my way of honouring him, I guess. So, I, as I said, I had that 4448 in my head, but then I thought I was going to do that anyway. So if I'm going to do it to kind of honour him and in, in his name, I've got to up it. Like I can't just do something I was going to do anyway and then say, oh, no, nah, yeah, just re-tag it and say this is for Mitch Crone. I'm like... If I'd done that, I guess it would have been okay, but I just thought I've got to put more to it. So the 4448, so it's in four-hour windows. So over 48 hours, it's it's essentially 12 runs of 6.5 kilometres. So I thought I'll up the 6.5 kilometres to seven kilometres. So I'm doing an extra half K every run. And on the last run, on the 12th run, like when I'm absolutely, you know, knackered, <laughs> I'll make that instead of make, instead of doing – seven k's i'll do nine k's i'll put an extra two kilometers on the end of what the runs i'm doing because he's in football he was a captain of uh winner manly he was a hooker number nine so that kind of correlated in the theme you know what i mean i'll do that nine to honor him and that's it's the last run i didn't want to do it on the first run because obviously it's easier to do nine k's on the first run i'll do it on the last one where i've really got to push myself and uh I also tied the nine theme in like I started at 9 a.m. and the deadline for my last run was 9 a.m., you know, 48 hours later. So that was a, uh, that was another, that was a big challenge because I think it was a total, it was meant to be a total of 86 kilometers over a 48 hour period, which you look at guys doing ultra marathons and that it's, it's the distance isn't like that overly impressive. Like it's a decent distance. It's over two two marathons in um, two days. But the biggest beast I found with it was the limited rest and recovery because you say you had four, you had four hours to complete the run. And so say if the run took you, by the time you got out to where you were going to run and um, ran it, got back inside, had a shower, you know, you're probably an hour, hour and a half into that window and then you try and lay down and have some sleep or you'd have something to eat and then you kind of had to turn around straight away and get ready for the next one. The, the next run so it was the lack of sleep the lack of rest the re- the lack of recovery that really um really tested me on that one so i got that done and so many people jumped on board we we raised some money to go towards uh, uh his gofundme page and uh, that was going towards just preserving his memory and putting some things in place that was going all to his family so you know it was great 
it was a great thing. A lot of the boys, boys and girls, and friends and family, and you know, people we didn't even know jumped on there and donated. So that was awesome. It was a, I felt, you know, proud that I'd done it, and yeah. I, I was so glad that I did because you could, sometimes you have things in your head which is probably just not the right way to think about things. But I was almost didn't want to do it because I didn't want to. I didn't want people to think that I was trying to self promote myself through Mitch. Mm. But then. It's just the mindset and then everyone was, you know, so supportive of it and it worked out well and I've kind of put that in now. I've said to his family and that and I've said to myself, well, as soon as I said to myself, I knew I had to do it. Like, I'm going to, this isn't just a one-off. I'm going to run it again next year and hopefully some more people join in and we can raise some more money to go towards, whether it's going towards preserving his memory or going towards another cause that yeah. he was uh, he was fond of. Like, we can work that out, but I'm definitely going to do that again. And then... On the back of that, like everything kind of rolled. My mate Chris Walker, former NRL player, Queensland Origin player, he was he's followed along in a lot of my challenges. He done the seventy two hour fast after I done it, and he was uh, giving me a few calls of support during my uh, the Cronin Challenge run. And that so the week following the Cronin Challenge, like I was very sore and sorry after the Cronin Challenge, as I said, the limited recovery in that, and I was I was out in the country running in paddocks and uneven ground and, and road road runs so it took a, a toll on the body. He's freezing cold. Me, <laughs> freezing cold, yeah, in the pitch black in the middle of the night, jumping at shadows. Um, <laughs> it was it was that that was a mental push in itself because I'm I was shit scared of the dark and I had to run the, you know, like nine PM, one one AM and five AM, but that's another story in itself. <laughs> um, so yeah, Chris Walker's called me. I think I finished the challenge up on the Saturday, and he's called me on the Wednesday, and he's like, "Oh, I'm thinking of walking for 48 hours straight." And I was thinking in my head, like, "Fuck, I've just done this, uh, like all this running and that, like walking. That's easy as." And I was like, "Yeah, I'll jump on. Like, let's do it. Another challenge." And I'm thinking he's gonna say, you know two weeks three weeks we'll prepare we'll do something and then he he kind of um he left it at that he just he didn't really say anymore he just said i'm thinking of walking 40 out 48 hours straight and then he got back to me he goes nah let's just make it 24 for the first one let's see how we go let's walk for 24 hours straight and then at start i thought that would be a good challenge because i'm to further my next challenges, I kind of want to run a hundred kilometers and do some ultra marathons and tick different things of this nature. So it's going to be a good baseline to have, you know, just to say, look, I walked X amount of distance in 24 hours. Yeah. How far can I run in 24 hours? Or how, you know, how far can I, do, when can I do, how far can I do a hundred Ks and all that kind of thing. I just thought, oh, a 24 hour walk would be a good baseline. And I'll think, still thinking in my head, like it wouldn't be that hard. And anyway, I said to him, yeah, let's do it. I'm in. Thinking, as I said, all along that he's going to say, this is Wednesday. This is four days after I'd finished this other one. He'd obviously seen me do it. And, you know, it was just a Wednesday. And I was just thinking he was going to say two, three weeks. And I was going to say, beautiful. He goes, righto, we'll do it on the weekend. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sweet. I'll talk to you in the morning. Anyway, so this is Wednesday. I was like, I'll talk to you in the morning. I'm like, all, all the time thinking, like, oh, I'm going to push him back. I'm going to push him back. And then he's called me on Thursday and I was like, I actually went for a little, my first run since the run just to see how my legs were and my knees and because my joints were the biggest thing because I'm a, you know, 100 kilos. So all the yeah. running continuously on the joints, it was taking its toll. My knees were absolutely still killing me. 
on the Thursday, and I, I, I just jogged three k's. I'd done a few burpees in there too, but yeah. I, the only part of my run was to run three k's. And mm-hmm. he's, I've called him after that, and I was like, mate, like I'm really hurting, just kind of looking for a bit of an exit. And he's <laughs> like, no, no, well, it's not going to kill us. It won't kill us. He goes, I've already been talking to Ben Hennon on the radio on that and saying, like, we're going to be walking for 24 hours. Anyone wants to come down and join in, join in. Like, guys, I've already put it out. Then I'm like, fuck, like, I'm too far in now, obviously. I can't pull out. So drove down the Gold Coast that morning, like the Saturday morning. So, you know, we're kind of seven days post the Cronin Challenge. And he's like, you know, we'll get a – couple of coffees we want we're not going to you know be breaking any land speed records we're we're just walking for 24 hours to see how far we can walk you know it's not a pace thing so i'm thinking yeah this would be okay so i just got up my normal time 4 30 was still fast it hadn't had anything to eat i thought you know i'll jump in the car i'll drive down the goldie and he said we'll get a coffee and that and just take our time walking i'll probably get a bite to eat there and like we, we end up, we just started walking and then I'm thinking like, we'll probably get something to eat soon and we just kept walking and then Chris is very, he like likes to dive into things 100% and he's like, I was like, mate, we might have to get something to eat soon. And he's like, no, nah, you know, we don't want to stop. We'll just keep going now. We'll set the pace, blah, blah, blah. And then with some, we were meeting up with people all along. They'd walked with us for a little bit or they'd just kind of say hello and then one of his mates jumped in and he started walking with us and but. It was kind of, it was about 12 o'clock and I'm thinking, like, I still haven't had anything to eat. I've been walking for kind of six hours. <laughs> like, we're going for 24 hours. I probably need to get something into me. And then his mate was, like, pushing the pace. And I'm, like, I'm thinking to, my, I'm thinking to myself, this guy, he's not in it for the 24 hours. He's just coming through. <laughs> What's this guy? <laughs> yeah. What's he doing? <laughs> and, and we're walking through the Goldie, like, Burley and that. Well, boys got their shirts off, so obviously they're not wanting to walk slow. So, like walking past, you know, a few chicks and that sitting on Burley Hill, everyone's kind of pushing the pace. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, for starters, it didn't start well. We're probably at the 40 minute mark of this 24 hour walk, and my knees were starting to hurt the exact same they did on the 12th run of the Cronin Challenge. And I said to him, I was like, mate. I'm in trouble here. Like, my knees are killing me, obviously. I'm just under-recovered. Like, my body was nowhere near probably where it should have been. Mm. He's like, yeah, my um, my right hammy's tight. I've got no PCL in my right knee. Like, he'd done really no training for it as well. So I was like, yeah, this is going well. We're 40 minutes <laughs> into a 24-hour walk, and we're both kind of complaining. And the more, like, our pace was pretty good with this guy. He jumped in. It, it turned out to be six hours that he jumped and walked for us, and he kind of – the pace was definitely lifted during that. And then we finally had our first thing to eat at 2 o'clock that hour. We had an acai bowl. Oh. So I've been walking for eight hours in the sun down the Gold Coast. Body's still under-recovered. Had an acai bowl at um, 2 o'clock. And I was literally, I was in so much pain. And we had our cars parked at the halfway point. So because we knew at 12 hours at the halfway point it started to get dark, we need to put some warm clothes on. That was kind of about as much preparation as we'd done. <laughs> so at 10 hours in, um, we're two hours away from the car and I was in so much pain. I was like getting hot and cold flushes. I was kind of white as a ghost because obviously I, I hadn't eaten much and like the pain I was getting, I, I just kind of said to myself, well, I think I'm done here. I'm going to get back there at the 12-hour mark. Um, this is Chris's thing. Like, I don't need to do this. Like, <laughs> I'm in over my head at the moment from where my body's at. 
I'm having these conversations with myself and I'm like, I've got 14 hours to go. Like, if I can make it back to the car, that's a win in itself. I've walked for 12 hours. That'll do. You know, no one's really going to, no one's going to hold it against me. I've been doing all this other stuff. And then yep. got got back to the car and like, I was genuinely, I was limping. Like, I was limping pretty heavily. He was parked 60 metres away because we couldn't get parked right next to each other. So I jumped in the, I slid into my car, put my phone on charger just to get some charge in it. I was sitting in the driver's seat and I'm like, that's it, I'm out of here. Like, I'm just starting this car up, I'm gone. And I'm having these conversations with myself and I'm like, nah, like, that's not what you're about, regardless if, is if this is your thing or not. Like, you're putting out there that, you know, these are the mental challenges that are restricting us from getting where we want to get. Like, we're, we're creating rationalizations and justifications, excuses in our head. Like, this is exactly the situation. Like, it can't always be a perfect situation, but you've got to be able to get the best out of yourself, so... Had that big conversation with myself for about five minutes sitting in the driver's seat. Got back out. We still had 12 hours to go. And, yeah, we just kind of – we dug in and it was literally the most pro- prolonged painful thing I've done with <laughs> the way my joints and that were. And it just got to the point where I, I remember probably about oh, sick because our pace slowed dramatically and we are just kind of limping along and – I said, well, we've just got to make the 100Ks for 24 hours. <clears throat> I think because in the first 12 hours with his mate that jumped in, we'd walk 60Ks. So, like, we double that. We're looking at 120Ks. But obviously, like, fatigue and, and all the other variables come in, they're all factors. So it got to the point where we were thinking 100Ks would be that's kind of going to be our cutoff time-wise and that's going to be a good achievement. You know, we'll get to the century of Ks and – That'll be a good outcome for this. But even at the 90K mark, 98Ks, we had 2Ks to go and it might as well have been 200. I was in so much pain. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, can't, I, can't get to the, I can't get this 100K mark. Like, I'd have to kind of roll on the ground, stretch my back because everything was just locking up just in order to keep going. I remember I laid down at the 98K mark to stretch my back and it was like a – probably a 30-second process getting down to the ground and back up like I was that sore. And I thought to myself, like, this is, what, f- five in the morning, so we're 23 hours in or whatnot. Well, I could just go to sleep on the ground here. I was that exhausted. <laughs> got to keep going. So, got to keep going. So anyway, it was pretty much bang on 24 hours. We got a bit over 100 Ks out and, yeah, fuck me. That was an experience. That was definitely an experience. <laughs> uh, I, lo- I love hearing about that. And I love the, like, there's so much wisdom in the how your thought process about that. Like, it's so easy to for people to pull the pin and then action it and then that's it, right? Like, the fact is what you're sharing, like, you know, being so honest about the, the voices and, and all the excuses that come forth, but you're, you're prepared to sit with that and, like, talk, talk your way through that. I think that I feel like a lot of people just hear that voice and that's it. They pull the pin, they'll start the car, they're off. And then they've just made that decision rather than sort of sitting there going like, every part of me wants to quit now, but you're in that, in your head, having this discussion. It's like you've got the two birds on each shoulder and like you're communicating yeah. forth. I mean, there's so much wisdom in in being able to cultivate that sort of practice because, I mean, there's going to be times with everything. Hey, like when we don't want to do it, but you're sitting there and you're like, fuck, I don't want to do this, but you know what? I need to do this. I think that just by learning that practice and and giving yourself more time within that before people just, nah, pull the pin, I'm done, start the car and then drive, you know what I mean? I feel like because that's, that's kind of like 
I guess what happens for a lot of people, they just sort of they make their decision, nah, and then they and they go on, and they're not prepared to sort of marinate in that sort of intro part of like talking themselves out of it <laughs> they talk themselves into it but they're not prepared to talk themselves out of it which is kind of like where the, what you're talking about where the growth happens where the callous in the mind happens and where the, the magic of life really starts to happen for for people a hundred and that's they're the things that i think generally when you do it that's when you look back and regret because when you're making that decisions you're your, your mind's obviously playing tri- whatever that is wherever you get to a point where you think you know, I've got to pull out. Sometimes you've just got to sit back and almost take yourself out of the situation, like remove, try and remove the emotion and think, because no doubt if I drove home then, I would have got home, pulled up in the driveway and thought, geez, I wish I'd done that. You know yeah. what I mean? And that I think that, that, that reverberates a lot of things in life where we, we just, as you said, we're quick to pull the trigger. We're quick to, to remove ourselves from that situation because there's – there's a block on like our mind's almost trying to protect us like let's not go let's not go that route because you know there's going to be a little bit of pain and suffering there so it's trying to pull us back into the into the safety net of into into our comfort zone but as we all know like whatever it is there's no there's no growth in the comfort zone we've got to push ourselves <laughs> outside those boundaries in order to grow yeah yeah, and yeah i love i love that sharing that and just giving that wisdom on that because i kind of like yeah people can take so much out of that just before you pull the trigger, just sit with it and just really contemplate it and just really think like, is this what I want? Because you're 100% right. As soon as you do pull the trigger and you half an hour later when you're comfortable or an hour later you're looking back and that's where you start to look at yourself like, yeah, you, th- you think of yourself as, as a person that uh, can't do things and can't achieve things and that sort of snowballs onto the next time that you're tested because you're like, no, nah, I'm just I'm weak, I can't do that because I've quit that. So that's kind of like where it starts. That's awesome, man. I love hearing that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess lastly what I wanted to sort of wrap up with is like obviously where you're at now and all the work you've sort of done and, and, and obviously with all the work that's still ahead that you want to do and want to create and uh, I've said to you personally, man, you're gonna you're here for big things and, and I love seeing and being a part of that journey and, and having you uh, to talk with. But I guess from a, what would a, the Benny Shea of today, what would he have to say to say a 21-year-old 20 Ben? Like what would – for anyone listening, the sort of thing, <laughs> you know. What I mean, if you're looking back and you could think, like, I mean, I, I'm a believer in everything happens the way it's supposed to happen, but I guess it's just about sharing wisdom too, like, and sharing with people that um, can find that valuable. Like, if you, the Ben of today, what would he have said uh, to the to the 21 year old Ben? Is there anything that comes up? Yeah, that's a great question. And as it, like you you share, you kind of often look back and you go, like, oh, I wish I did things this way. I wish I did things that way, but. One of the things I've learned for you, as you said, everything kind of happens for a reason. You're on this journey and you get to a certain point. That's because, uh, you know, you've been through all these previous hardships or good experience. It's not always bad, but, you know, whatever whatever the experience you've been through, that's what's brought you back to where you were. But then you think, are you, through you going through those experiences, if you can impart some knowledge on some younger people, that they don't have to go through that, they might be able to reach a better version of them of themselves through your experiences so i guess 21 year old me just uh read a you know it's kind of might sound a bit wanky or like a redefine your impossible because i often thought like i was i had this thing in my head like i was doing everything possible for me to get where i wanted to go but really 
I was doing fuck all, you know what I mean? But I'd, I'd, I'd created that narrative in my head. I'd let my mind believe that. And I thought, you know, doing one extra exercise, uh, physical session a week was was enough and, and I was living very singularly and not holistically. Like you've got to look at life as a um, as a whole and, and everything, what we've, you know, talked about kind of what's popped up continuously in our talk here, like everything's intertwined. You can't expect to be playing good football on the footy field if your personal relationships and, and the way you're behaving off the field is down in the talk. Like everything flows everything flows on so just kind of um yeah look at everything as a whole and don't put any limits on yourself because we're we're capable of everything like with that goggins running 100 miles and then running a boston marathon time in um that two two weeks later like don't put limits on ourselves and don't limit yourself just going what off what other people tell you and um because i think sometimes we create this narrative in our head that this is how we should feel or this is what we should do because this is what people are telling us to feel and this is what people are telling us to do. Like you've just got to open your mind and, and be present and go trust your – a big one would be trust your gut instinct because I think deep down really we know this stuff and we've always known this stuff but we we ignore it and we, we try and mask it with different things whether it's alcohol or drugs or hanging around certain people. Just – you know, listen to your gut and 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 trust yourself. It's it's hard to do. it's a hard kind of question, but yeah. it is just um, you know walk your own walk your own path. You know what I mean? Don't just don't just do what everyone else is doing it because it's not what which is something I'm kind of grasping with now, and especially with my kids, it's not what makes us the same that makes us great. It's what makes us different. Like we've got to be prepared to do things differently. Yeah. And I think if you're prepared to do things differently and you're prepared to work hard put the time in to whatever that may be like we we're capable of of anything really obviously you know i can't run um 100 meters in 10 seconds but like if you know if i was a kid and i said to myself like you can be a doctor i probably would have thought to myself there's no way i can be a doctor but yeah you can like i'm gonna tell my kids like i put on my instagram post yesterday like my daughter she always points at the moon at night time like she loves seeing the moon. She calls it moony and she just likes looking at it. And I always just kind of say to her, you can go, you can go to the moon if you want. And that's just not some like, little wanky thing. Like you can go to the moon if you want. But literally like when she gets older, if she wants to be an astronaut, she can be, she can be an astronaut. If she puts the time and she puts the effort in, she can, um, she can do whatever she wants to do. So, you know, we're, we're capable of anything. We're just going to put the time uh, surround ourselves with the right people. That would be a big thing. Surround yourself with good people, good content, and um, don't put limits on yourself. Yeah, <clears throat> I love that. It's such a, it's such a powerful thing. I think is that to be to become more aware of like our relationships with people and how limiting they may be or how um, expansive they may be would be a big a big one to sort of get people to to really start to question it's like okay well my mate my circle of influence is that are they really uh is, is this gonna push me to where i need to be or is it gonna limit me in, in some ways because i mean we, we know that story about the crabs in the bucket uh, and it's kind of like that i feel like when some people you know when you you may want to have you know big hopes and dreams but if you if your mates aren't sort of having the same hopes and dreams it's sort of easy for them to want to pull you back onto their level because by you sort of pursuing that it can may 
brings up insecurities or vulnerabilities to other people. So that's kind of like a, a realistic thing that people need to be aware about. Um, and that's kind of like what you're just saying, like re- redefine redefine what it is you want and really just start to, to believe um, that you are firstly worthy and you can, and with the work and, and with making sure you're taking care of the micro things, you can have the macro. But I think, um, yeah, that's awesome, brother. Yeah. Awesome, my man. Well, and just kind of back to, back to where I was going, but with everything on a whole, which is it's been massive with you helping me along in my journey and being a part of your journey because often before I could often think things were just one-dimensional. Like, you know, if you train hard and eat well, that's health. But that's mm. not you – that's not health. Like it's it, – there's a whole bigger picture of like our spirituality and how everything ties in and that's – I'm still learning that at the moment. I'm getting a lot of that from you, but you know that's yeah. it's massive what you've kind of opened up for me. And as I said, I'm just kind of stra- scratching the surface in it at the moment. But there is, it's not just cut and dry. Like if you you go for a run every day and you eat healthy, you're not going to be the you you're not healthy. Um, you're not just going to be defined as healthy if that makes sense. Like you're not. There's there's so much more yeah. that you can incorporate into making you. The best you possible, like optimizing yourself. It's a, it's a, um, it's a huge picture, and you know, I, I've, as I said, I'm just scratching the surface, and I'm excited to keep going. Yeah, no, I love that, and thanks, bro. But yeah, that's what it, I mean. That's why spirituality, I believe, is such an important aspect because it really, it, it fuels everything. It fuels our physical, it fuels our emotional, it fuels our mental. It just makes us, in, in my journey, and my belief is that it makes us, it makes us whole. Um, and that's right. It gives us a bigger perspective of thing, and it, it it just ties into you know having more compassion and kindness and love for everyone. I mean, because we are all one, on an energetic level, and it's like when we can unlock that depth of spirituality, have that understanding and realization, it makes you so much more of a fulfilled person, is my belief. But yeah, awesome, my man. I love that. Um, really appreciate uh, taking the time today, Benny, and chatting with us. Uh, and sharing your, your your gold golden nuggets of wisdom, and uh, I'm sure that anyone listening is going to find some inspiration, um, a lot of inspiration through what you've just spoke about and what you've done. Uh, and then obviously we share uh, Instagram and get on board and have a follow. And now yeah, just a quick note on the on uh, the what you talk about a bit of parenting. I've I've loved watching your attitude towards um, your parenting and like your your uh, philosophy on that. Like you're fully influencing like like you said where your daughter looking at the moon i mean that stuff is like so priceless as far as the foundations we're setting for our children because it's that's right it's, as we get older we live in a world that's got enough restraints and, and and constrictions and what it is there's enough stuff out there that's making us fearful um within life i mean the more we can start off as a young kid and believing because we come into this world Full of in, full of love and full of life and full of, full of wonder and excitement and stuff and then I guess as the older we get then we get a bit more conditioned depending on our, our journey but uh, that's such an important aspect to keep that uh, to keep to keep that belief I think because as soon as we stop believing that's when we start settling because then we we stop thinking that we can achieve the things that we want to achieve we just start thinking that what we're getting in life is is all we're worthy of which is something we need to fucking eliminate because. We've all, every single one of us have come into this earthly plane to, to reach, um, to, to reach and to do amazing things. Obviously, and each and every one of us is going to be different because we're unique. 
but that doesn't mean that one person's amazing is better than the other person's amazing. It's we're here to be amazing. We're here to have an amazing life and to uh, just create amazing connections and, and to do all this stuff. So uh, is, is, is my belief. I mean, there's people can achieve that in lots of different ways, but it's still all achievable for all of us. And it's our, it's our journey to find uh, what it is that what amazing is within us to to unlock. Definitely, brother. That's I think there's a quote like um, sometimes our greatest achievements not what we do, it's who we raise. But in order for me to um, unlock my children's potential, I've ultimately got to unlock my potential. So then I can pass that off onto them. I you you said it to me the other day, like you said um, sometimes kids don't just need providers; they need role models. And there's a quote that. The, the quote of the, the speech, you know, our deepest fear um, is not that we're inadequate. It's that we're powerful beyond measure. Like I've seen that plenty of times, but I watched it again the other day and it just reverberated with, with me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, through us shining our light, we unconsciously give the right to others to, you know, shine theirs. And that's what I think the ultimate goal of being a parent is. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Nelson Mandela is a beautiful quote. Um yeah, it's fucking so powerful. I love that, man. And like I said, you kick an ass at that, and it's so it's so awesome to see. Uh, and then everyone that's sort of listening will jump on board and, and get behind Benny. Um, and, yeah, thanks for that, my brother. And take care. Um, and we'll, we'll chat again soon, eh? Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me on. Let me be part of it. And uh, I look forward to continuing the journey with you, my man. Cheers. <laughs> thanks, brother. See you, bye. Please check out the show notes. I'll have all the links where you can get on and check out Benny on his Instagram, his Facebook, uh, his website for his company, Change, Maintain, Grow. Uh, it's a beautiful movement he's creating there with a buddy of his. So please, guys, get on and support and stay tuned. Uh, sending you guys love and light. Thank you for listening to the Justin Louis Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And please subscribe and like and leave some comments. Um, And feel free to share this to anyone you feel may benefit from the information was provided here. Sending you love and light and wishing you the health and happiness that you deserve. Bye for now.